warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Trash Heap, guys, for our second installment in our Triple X extravaganza. Uh, we saw Triple X Return of the Arcades this weekend. But before we get into how just magnificent that was, uh, normally this is the part where we would do knee-jerk reactions, but today I think we have something different lined up. Uh, yeah, given the current state of the world, um, there's been a lot of kind of serious topics and thoughts and issues on our minds, so we're going to take a moment and talk about uh, movies that during different periods of strife in the world have uh, acted as a mirror and kind of taught us things about ourselves. Uh, so we're going to take a moment and talk about our favorite dystopian movies. Mm-hmm. So what is what defines a dystopian movie to you? So to me, when we were, when we were, we were talking about this, for me personally, when I was making my list, I instantly cut out movies that were like post-apocalyptic or uh, stuff like that. Whereas like to me, it has to be where it's, a re- like you said, a reflection of our current society or what our society could turn into where some sort of totalitarian force is taking over the government and is just impregnated itself into our daily lives. Exactly. It makes us question our um, our actions and the impact they have and the influence we have on our leaders and what we can do as individuals to, you know, keep terrible things from happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fight the power, Keith. Yes. Fight the power indeed. So, okay, well, I'll go first then. Uh, my first pick is John Carpenter's They Live. Um, this, if you're not familiar with the movie... I'd is, say that's a no-brainer. It's a, Yeah, it's definitely a no-brainer. But yeah, if you're not familiar with it, it's about aliens that have secretly infiltrated the government and have now taken over large parts of the government, uh, our media, and our, what drive our economy. Um, yeah, they're basically the top 1% of the population in positions of power and wealth and influence. And as the the middle and lower classes are you becoming an endangered species, um, a resistance forms to fight back. Yeah, and what this movie does really well is it works on so many levels. One, it's, it's a, it works as an action movie. It works as a comedy. It has a lot of really funny parts to it. Um, it's great sci-fi. And it's a really, really thoughtful and like poignant look at Reaganomics and the whole political climate of the 80s when this movie was filmed and it has some of the best one-liners ever put in put on film oh yeah i mean you can't really say that you've never heard of this movie because in one way or another you've seen the fight scene between roddy piper and keith david Mm -hmm. you've heard the one-liners from roddy piper like i come here to do two things chew bubblegum and kick ass and i'm all out of bubblegum everyone's heard that right but yeah like you said on another level this movie is serious it's anti-consumerism and um you know anti um capitalist mm-hmm. i mean it's it's more pointing towards uh humanity supporting itself and us lifting each other up rather than you know and one thing this movie does that's really unique that not too many movies do it's like even in movies like this is it makes homeless people the heroes of the movie yes it's normally like this thing would be someone who's not homeless fighting on behalf of the homeless people uh, someone in a position of, of power fighting on behalf of them. This is literally homeless people fighting back and, and to stop the alien invasion. Yeah, Roddy Piper plays a drifter named uh, John Nada, and 
uh, he's just wandering from town to town trying to get you know construction jobs mm-hmm. and do an honest day's work with his hands and his tools. Um, and for some reason, no one will you know let him do what he, he wants to do. And uh, he joins a, a kind of a, a shanty town homeless society, you know, full of great people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all there's absolutely nothing wrong with these people, but for some reason they just can't survive in the current system. They, you know, stay oppressed under the thumb of, you know, the higher classes. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not even a science fiction movie at all. No, it's just, it's documentary. Shockingly close to reality. Yeah. Yeah. Roddy Piper, God rest his soul, before he passed on, said that this was a documentary, and uh, unfortunately he's a lot closer to the truth than even he could have possibly known. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, do you have any other uh, cheery cheery picks? Anything cheery a little picks? bit lighter? Well, just kind of based on uh, the subject matter, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's actually probably the the, the ultimate. Yeah, what would be your uh, first pick? Um, actually, mine would be uh, The Running Man, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's funny that these uh, dystopian movies tend to be like action vehicles for... Yeah. Um, kind of these muscle-bound action stars, but at the same time, um, The Running Man is also pretty poignant because in the same way, it's set in a future where the government and uh, television networks um, are in bed together. So Well, they all get put on a game show where they have to hunt each other. Yes, exactly. The The justice system is, is roped into this game show where criminals are hunted for sport and... Mm-hmm people gamble the lower classes gamble and bet uh you know their hard-earned money away on it's kind of that bread and circus um idea where if you keep the masses uh fed and entertained just enough um it'll distract them from everything else that's going on exactly and in a lot of ways this movie is a precursor to things like uh battle royale and the hunger games oh exactly it definitely laid the groundwork um and it's also extremely violent um, which is awesome and jarring, and you see Arnold Schwarzenegger dispatching a lot of people in some pretty disgusting ways, um, which I particularly enjoy. But and in the end, he uh, you know, he joins a resistance movement, and yeah, because he was part of the establishment at the beginning. He was a cop, wasn't he? Oh yes, he was a he was a a riot cop uh, mm-hmm. framed for uh, murder. He refused to fire on you know unarmed uh, civilians who are just trying to get some food. Right. Um, and yeah, eventually he's placed on this show. Um, and there, I mean, there is no, no way out for anybody. Um, and it's pretty dark, but once he joins the resistance movement, they, um, they topple the network, um, and, uh, kind of inspire the people to rise up. Well, my next pick would be, uh, the eighties miniseries V. This is another movie about aliens coming over, coming to earth and taking over, but it's a little bit different than the last one. One, it's a, it's a direct parable to the Nazis in World War II. And this movie is not without its flaws. It has a lot of corny parts. Some of the dialogue's pretty atrocious. But that being said, the movie is still very compelling. And what it does really, really well is it shows exactly how uh, a totalitarian movement can come in, gain trust, infiltrate, and then take over. And how and what are the steps that happen in society and it's very realistic to what has actually happened throughout history and that's in that regard so for that reason 
I'm going to put it on my list. And it's a lot of fun, too, at the same time. It's got angry, <laughs> it's got angry German guy in it, lizard monsters, uh, a young Freddy Krueger, uh, pre-Freddy, uh, Robert England, uh, being incredibly, he's like the least intimidating of the aliens. That does sound pretty fun. Um, I mean, <clears throat> and it's important to have that element of fun, I think, while it creates a catharsis. Yeah. Um, because I think that um, sort of fear and anxiety that comes with um, uh, wondering how the future is going to turn out uh, can eat you alive sometimes. Mm-hmm. So then my next pick, actually, I just mentioned um, people just trying to get something to eat uh, in a food riot. And um, my next pick is uh, Demolition Man, uh, starring Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, where... Um, it, it's interesting because we it's a dystopian movie, but it starts out um, on the precipice of civilization almost ending. Mm-hmm. So it's set, and, and initially it opens in the uh, the 1990s, um, where there's riots and crime and things like that. And um, Sylvester Stallone's character ends up sleeping through the portion where uh, a massive earthquake rocks... Um, california and probably the rest of the united states and um they have to pick up the pieces so flash forward what 70 70 years uh, it's no it's not that long uh the movie takes place in 2032 oh right so, so that's, he's uh, asleep for like 40 40, 40 years, years. Yeah, yeah something like that so flash forward 40 years and um now civilization is almost like a utopia like there's peace and the distribution of wealth is seems fair and just, and everyone has what they need. Uh, everything's clean and orderly. There's everyone's plenty of Taco Bell everywhere. Yeah, Taco Bell rules the day, which sounds like paradise. Um, everyone's wearing comfortable robes, um, and things on the surface seem to be going well. But unfortunately, living underground are people, uh, you know, who like to read and they're into free thinking and freedom of speech. And uh, they have to live in a sewer if they want to do what they want. Mm-hmm. My final pick for my list of top three would be RoboCop. Now, at first, some people might be like, well, this is just a movie about this guy who becomes a robot cop. He shoots up a bunch, a lot of people, and that's it. However, this movie really does an example of showing how uh, media uh, can become controlled by politics uh, social programs get controlled by private organizations, and it's really kind of a mirror of what we're watching today, where we see corporations more and more and more take over things, uh, like the Blackwater Group, and how they start, how they have control and influence into social programs that money sh- that money should not be playing a part in. So it's really, really topical to exactly what's happening right now. And I really wish we had a guy like Alex Murphy at this moment. Yeah, the privatization of um, the police force is really, uh, I think, one of the most interesting uh, pieces because this idea that uh, a corporation could control um, this entire force that, uh, you know, preserves law and order. Well, I mean, it's not that different from what we have now. We have prisons for profit. Mm -hmm. We have uh, independent, like I said, I mentioned Blackwater, but we have paramilitary groups being hired by the government to uh, perform actions that the army should be doing, you know. So it's right around the corner, folks. The robot-human technology hybrid, I don't know about that, how far we are from that, but hopefully it's not that far away. Sign me up.
Oh, what's your final pick, Keith? Uh, so my final pick is actually a little bit lighter than some of the movies we just talked about. Uh, it's called Encino Man. <laughs> uh, and you may remember this movie. Uh, Brendan Fraser plays a caveman who thaws out from a block of ice and attends a California high school in Encino, California with Polly Shore and Sean Astin. Um, and the reason I'm naming this a dystopian film is because from the perspective of a caveman... Waking up in Southern California in the early 90s is probably as far as a dystopian future as uh, he could imagine. Um, the The natural world essentially has been paved over, and now he's got to thrive inside of uh, this strange place full of microwave burritos and Slurpees and automobiles. It must be um, just a waking nightmare for him, so... The layers and subtext that you've found in this film are quite astonishing. This movie calls for a return to nature and uh, an embracing and celebration of the natural world, and I think we should all take heed of its message. I'm going to take my pants off right now. And also, uh, never forget the three most important things in life. Nugs, chillin', and grindage. There you go. 100%. So, <laughs> that says it all. So if you guys are still listening out there after our... Um, I'm sure most people have stopped this podcast yeah. right now. <laughs> Please continue to listen. Um, it's hard not to be political in uh, the current climate and, and be thinking about the world around us and, and what's happening. It's just really impossible. Mm-hmm. But um, we sort of take comfort in knowing that movies act as a reflection and uh keep us thinking and keep us sharp and keep us critical of the things we witness so i think that's well said probably the best takeaway okay now that we're done with that crap let's get to what we really need to talk about triple x the return of xander cage and a man oh man i saw this movie yesterday morning uh, in a theater with it was just me my girlfriend and two elderly couples, and we all had a fantastic time. How about you, Keith? Well, here before we go any further, I just want to say that this is going to be extremely spoiler-heavy. So oh, yeah. if you haven't seen this yet, uh, be prepared, because we're going to reveal uh, almost everything scene by scene. So mm-hmm. um, if you haven't seen it, press stop right now, go see it, and then come back and smash that play button. Because yes, sir. If you're wondering if Vin Diesel is back... And he's going to sexually satisfy eight women. He is. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering if the Hound from Game of Thrones is going to stroll into the frame with a football helmet mouth guard dangling out of his mouth, he is. If you're wondering if a man gets flushed down a toilet at 80,000 feet in the There's air. There's no way that happens. It does. And if you're wondering if Samuel Jackson gets paid millions of dollars for about 30 seconds of screen time, he does. All right, so this movie like starts off pretty great. One, it starts off right off the get, we see uh, Samuel Jackson return as Augustus Gibbons, trying to recruit a football, uh, football, a soccer player. Yeah, Neymar Jr. So playing you, himself. You soccer heads out there might know who he is. Let me ask you one question. Yeah. How many satellites do you think are orbiting the Earth right now? I'm going to say 30,000. And you might not be far off. Because in the world of Triple X, the entire planet is constantly enshrouded in 
satellites. What they show you, they show you the visual image of this, and it is literally like a like an entire net of satellites kind of almost creating a black cloud around yeah, there's the an extra bubble layering the earth and it's made entirely out of satellites it's replacing the ozone layer that's yes rapidly uh, disappearing yes so the entire earth is uh, uh enshrouded in a protective bubble of garbage and the reason why these are important is because there's a new device developed by the cia stolen by terrorists called pandora's box which they, you can use to crash satellites into people. Yeah, it just knocks them out of the sky, and they can fall on whoever you want. And that's what happens at the beginning of the movie. Uh, a satellite falls on Samuel Jackson. He dies in a ball of flame, which means they have to bring back... Ugh. Which, <laughs> which means they have to uh, get the one person who can stop this, and that's Xander Cage. But wait, I thought Xander Cage was dead. Turns out... He was just hiding in somewhere in Central America. No way. Yeah. So when we when we come back to Xander Cage, it starts with him climbing up a, like a radio television tower. Yeah. He grabs some kind of a device off the tower, throws it in his backpack, straps on some skis. Well, he yes, straps on the skis. Wait, does he land? Does he strap them on, or does he land in the skis after he jumps? Oh off? yeah, I guess he. No, he straps them on, jumps off, and grabs the the. Uh, the skiing poles in midair. Yes. And proceeds to ski down dirt and leaves. Through and a jungle. Through jungle a map, jungle. Which I didn't know was possible. But yeah, I don't think that uh, it is possible. Well, but I'm pretty sure this movie is pretty factually In, in the world of Triple X, the impossible becomes possible. Mm, that's true. So he gets down from the bottom of there, instantly uh, grabs a skateboard that some guy was holding f- for him. And starts skating down these, uh, like, uh, speed skating down these roads, grabbing onto the backs of trucks, skating on, t- on the sides of buses. Yeah, meanwhile, everyone in the village is cheering him. He seems to be very popular in this region. Everyone, now, keep in mind, we've all thought he was dead, but everyone is chanting his name. He's, like, world famous uh, in this scenario. He gets down to the bottom, he gets to his target, he's in the, the world's smallest village where it's, like, literally, like, soup cans, or people are living in soup cans, and there's one television, like underneath a tarp, and everyone's watching, wants to watch that. And he hooks up whatever he took from the set, from the TV antenna, and so they can all watch a soccer game. Yeah, and the whole village cheers, and he becomes a, a hero. He's still up to his old uh, Robin Hood type tricks. Nothing changes. He doesn't. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that he doesn't say like "Welcome to the Xander Zone" or something when he, the TV turns on. But you know, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, then he meets a, a young lady in this town. Uh, who lives in a slightly larger soup can than maybe everyone else, but it's, it's still pretty poverty-stricken, but she has designer clothes, fine jewelry, perfect hair, and is uh, pretty attractive. Yeah, so he immediately has sex with her and then leaves. Did you notice while they were having sex that one of his tattoos on his back is like a Mad Magazine back cover that you can fold in? And I did he, notice that. And when he flexes, it makes a different picture than when he's not flexing. It's incredible. And I, and I lost it. What an achievement. Yeah, but so yeah, he they, he makes sweet love to her. Uh, the next day he's gone as soon as he came, as fast as he came, and he leaves her with his skateboard as well as several STDs. Yes. And then where is he Where is he off to? He goes to the Dominican Republic, and he has a map of places he can't go to without being found by uh, Gibbons and the other CIA people who would be looking for him. And so he's looking at this map, um, trying to figure out where he goes next, and this is where 
our new CIA liaison, because Gibbons is dead, played by Tony Collette, comes in to give him another test. Just like he had this, like the diner test that Gibbons gave him in the first one. Yes, and he passes with flying colors, once again proving that he's the smartest guy in the room. By far. By far. And she's she, she wants him back because a team of terrorists, uh, led by Donnie Yen... To quote quote unquote terrorists. We well at this point we we under, our understanding is they're terrorists. Their their goal is uh, to steal and they have successfully done this is to steal Pandora's box and start uh, uh, crashing satellites onto people they don't like. Right, and so it's yes. We, who's on the team? Is we got we have Donnie Yen. Uh, uh, what's his face? Um, that guy. A handful of forgettable. Yeah, those guys. People. <laughs> no, uh, but what's his name? Uh, the uh, Tony Jaw. Tony Jaw, yeah, Tony yeah. Jaw, uh, uh, on Bach guy, um, who looks like a Tintin from the uh, the Tintin comics. Yeah, he's given a a, a, a bleached faux hawk for some reason. He loves to dance. He loves to dance like Michael Jackson, uh, and he's constantly making strange noises. Yeah, not, not even words, just noises. No, I'm not sure what what the the concept was here but uh, uh tony definitely has some fun with it that's for sure yeah. <laughs> uh but anyway so what then then what's next you need they just the same sorry we need you to the same way you she's like the same way you defeated or infiltrated anarchy 99 we need you to go in get good with these guys and get back to pandora's box yeah that's the general idea um and um this new new authority figure it is definitely an antagonist towards uh, Xander Cage. Obviously, we know already that he doesn't respond well to authority, but um, since Gibbons is gone, he's got to figure out a way to coexist and work with this new uh, government suit, and it doesn't go quite according to plan. In fact, as soon as they get on an airplane together and he meets his new military squad backup... Um, as you might have seen in the trailer, he immediately sends those guys flying out of the bay of this plane and um, parachuting down over um, Colombia, I believe. I don't remember. Anyways, he kicks their asses yeah. out of the plane. He, he just pushes a bunch of innocent people out of a plane. And it's time to recruit his own team. Uh, you might say their team extreme. Which includes a uh, sniper. Oh, uh, yeah, which is Ruby Rose from Orange is the New Black. Who spends her spare time uh, playing uh, Call of Duty and shooting uh, poachers. Yes, yes. And her her actual gamer tag is uh, shown in the movie. So if you want to uh, go online and play with her, I believe you can. I think that's, a, yeah, I think it's a media I tie-in. think it's real. Yeah. Um, the Hound, like we mentioned earlier, he, he shows up as a guy who just is really good at crashing cars. Not necessarily driving them, but at crashing them. Also good at uh, just running towards people that are shooting for no reason. Yeah, he, that's, that's, that's one of his that special happens. skills. He's like, he's, he has a plan, and his plan is to run out and get shot by Does he have any other abilities? What is it exactly that brings him to the table? I think at some point, he uh, Xander just knows he's going to need someone to crash a car. Oh, so he's the just same the way, driver. Which the same way uh, we come to where his final choice in team uh, in his team is just a guy who's a DJ. Has no military skills at all. In fact, they even say his special skill is fun. He's fun to be around. Right. But Xander knows at one point he's going to need a DJ to complete his mission, which he does. Well, and um, 
you know, one of the core principles of the Triple X team is look dope while you're doing anything. So if you don't have someone like a DJ around to help things, uh, you know, you know be dope, then yeah, who's gonna who's gonna crank up the beat when you're kicking ass? If yeah, you don't exactly. Have a DJ? Yeah, if uh, if there's no one to uh, crank that drop, then I mean. We got to keep in mind if we're looking at this, these characters as a real part of a real world. In the real world, there's no soundtrack like there is in the movies, and you need a DJ with you at all times to create your soundtrack. Precisely. Uh, so anyway, though, let's like not to decide, dissect everything to its nth degree, but to get into the meat of it, what really ends up happening is, unlike in the first one where he infiltrates Anarchy Ninety Nine, thinks they're cool at first, but then finds out they're actually real bad. He thinks. This team of terrorists are bad at first, but then it finds out they're actually pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that's part of the grieving process because, you know, having learned that uh, Gibbons is dead, I think Xander Cage really took it took it to heart when mm-hmm. someone dropped a satellite on him. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't this team, and come to find out that Donnie Yen and his crew are a previous iteration of the Triple X squad. They're all Triple X's. Yeah. Yeah, they just have different missions and perspectives. But what this movie is really about, it's not about double crosses. It's not about uh, Pandora's box. It's about... Family. Family. Coming together, supporting each other. And looking dope while you do it. (laughs) But let's let's talk about the action scene of this. Let's let's forego the plot right now because it really doesn't okay, matter. Okay. Uh, right off the top of my head, uh, Donnie Yen gets finally gets the action vehicle in America that he has deserved for so I, long. I will say this is definitely the second best Donnie Yen movie I've seen in the last two months. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with Donnie Yen's uh, work overseas, uh, the Ip Man films, movies like Flashpoint and Kill Zone. And, um, gosh, I'm sure there's something cool I'm forgetting. Um, but Donnie Yen is a, a martial arts dynamo and mm-hmm. an already an action legend in his own right. And, uh, he just hasn't really had the spotlight in the United States that he really needs. He's been in movies like Blade 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um... A couple others here and there, but, but I guess, but just recently he was in, I mean, this is where he is now getting the attention he deserves. He was in, uh, The Force, uh, not The Force Awakens, uh, Rogue One. Yes. He was, the, he was the blind guardian of the wills in Rogue One, and now he's a major player in X. Yeah, and not only is he doing, uh, action martial arts sequences, but he's verbally sparring with you know, Vin Diesel and, you know, really carrying the other side of this film mm-hmm. as one of its leads, which is amazing to see. And you know what? It's also really impressive. Watch this movie. Watch his moves. This guy's 53 years old. Yes. Vin Diesel's 49. And he does some, Vin Diesel does some impressive work here, but it like, not in nowhere in comparison to what Donnie Yen no, is Donnie in. Donnie is running circles around everybody in this movie. There's even a part where, uh, you know, before he realizes he's good, where he's going to, where they're about to have a fist fight on the freeway and i'm like what is what is xander thinking because there's literally no way you can beat this guy with your fist and then like a car hits both of them and yes and then they both laugh and then climb over a fence and, and then they're best pals after that really yeah yeah that's, that's how they really be- <laughs> once you get hit by a car with someone then you just become best friends um but that's that's fantastic the uh the motorcycle chase that then tr- the motorcycles turn into jet skis somehow yeah um so after a uh sort of um, some kind of a party on a private island. Um, 
the Russians show up. For some reason. For some reason. And it's and never really like alluded to that they were like I players mean, in this at all. Yeah, I think the Russians just want Pandora's box. Everybody wants Pandora's box so they can start dropping satellites on people they don't like. Uh, I mean, that's really what this movie is about, is a race to harness the technology of dropping satellites on people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you didn't come to my birthday party. <laughs> satellite. <laughs> this is the most effective way to kill people, guys, just so you know. It's yeah. a drop, because there's so many goddamn satellites. It's an exact there's science. There's always one there when you need it. Yes, and you if know? you run out, you can just launch more. Um, but the, it turns into a, a dirt bike chase out of this island, um, and onto the beach and a uh, Donnie Yen releases a latch on his dirt bike that gives it, um, jet ski like properties. And off they both go, um, sailing across the water and into the waves in, um, probably the most ridiculous chase scene since Kurt Russell, um, surfed and chased a car with a hang glider in escape from LA. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, yeah, it's probably even crazier. It's just saying a lot. Um, the, I want to, my, I think though, the, the, the climax is probably without question, it's not just ridiculous, but it's legitimately like, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Climax. The, the two main, both action scenes going on, cause there's two separate action scenes at the end that are kind of intersplicing Donnie Yen and, uh, Vin Diesel are on a plane with Tony Lett, who we now know is completely evil. Yes. And they're trying to get Pandora's box from her. And then the rest of the Triple X teams are trapped in a warehouse where uh, the military has been sent in to wipe them out to uh, get rid of any evidence that Tony Collette's evil. Yes. Uh, Donnie Yen has been um, sort of captured. And um, uh, Vin Diesel uh, frees him. And uh, they decide it's time to take out the trash. And mm-hmm. um, Literally. Well, Vin Diesel goes after one person specifically. Um, Donnie Yen takes on about 20 guys uh, himself, hand-to-hand, and really gets to show off his uh, martial arts skills. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the uh, they kill the pilot somehow, and the plane starts going to nosedive, and then it's that uh, the, they go into zero-G. Yes. Donnie Yen is having a zero-G kung fu fight. Yeah, they're all floating around. Pretty and, spectacular. Yes, and he, uh, I think at one point he straps a... Um, oxygen tank to someone and just makes them float away yeah uh and then uh the one guy that specifically though that vin diesel goes after he ends up flushing him through a toilet yeah out of the airplane not before they have a fist fight where uh said goon straps on two robot hands imagine like iron man style gloves um that amplify your strength and punching power and um Vin Diesel is still able to overcome this, well, obviously. Yeah, but, well, he's really smart. He lures him into the bathroom. And then the, the strong guy's like, oh, well, he's trapped in the bathroom. Now I have him. But with his, the zero G that's happening, he's able to float above yes. the toilet. So he punches a hole through the toilet, and then Vin Diesel just flushes, and he's out. Yeah, and he it, the, the great part is this comes full circle of, of him delivering on a promise to flush this guy down the toilet did, earlier in the movie. He did say that he would do this. He literally flushes him down the toilet. Um... And then down on the ground, we got our team pinned down. They're outnumbered. They're being shot at. Yeah, there's a huge gunfight in a warehouse as um, the entire X program is uh, deemed by uh, Tony Collette and her superiors to be... Um, expendable. Yeah, 100% expendable. 
Um, all agents are going to be uh, neutralized or retired, as they mm-hmm. say in the business. They're going to claim that it was a satellite that hit them. Yes. A yeah, rogue satellite. It, make it look like an, uh, yeah, they'll call it Rogue One. Whoa. <laughs> and so right as things are looking 1,000% dire for uh, the Triple X squad. They're out of ammo. Uh, they're out of options. The hound has been sh- shot fifty times from his brilliant plan to run into a hail of bullets. Yeah, um, yeah, he was just going to charge everyone and then got shot in the ass, among other places. It was mainly in the butt, though. Yeah, yeah, a lot of bullets in the butt. Yep. Um, what are they going to do? I mean, there's nowhere, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. It's all over. I can think of only one thing that could save them. Hmm. I mean, it can't be. It can't. Be, it's not going to be Donnie Yen. He's on an airplane. It's not going to be Xander Cage. He's on an airplane. No, it's, it would be impossible. They've got Ooh. no one. What no about one? Darius Stone, Ooh. the second Triple X, as played by Ice Cube? Yep, he rolls in, um, playing his own music, playing his own as music as always, uh, and then proceeds to blow the shit out of everyone with a grenade launcher. And when he's done, he goes X takes care of X. That's right. And the movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> the end. No, what what happens is that uh, Donnie Yen pushes uh, pushes Tony Collette out the airplane. Well, no, he she straps she he straps. Up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, Tony Collette is uh, interesting because she is an absolute monster in this movie. Just uh, she's dressed like Gina Davis in uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight with the blonde hair mm-hmm. and super dark eye makeup, mm-hmm. which makes her look like an insufferable hard ass. And she does nothing but roll her eyes and sarcastically demolish Xander Cage um, throughout this entire movie. She is great. She knows exactly what kind of material she's do- doing dealing with and just revels in it mm-hmm. um she's one of the main definitely the main attractions of this movie um but she also has a fitting death scene where she's about to kill xander cage uh she get or uh, she's about to kill donnie yen rather yeah she's gonna kill donnie yen yeah and then um he um straps a parachute uh not a parachute but just like one of those little tiny parachutes that pull out the rest of the parachute. yeah yeah it's like holding some cargo or something but she gets pulled out um and you know, presumably falls to her death, splatters one hundred on the ground, percent. Yeah, and then um, we think everything's going to be okay, but be right before she got pulled out, she hit Pandora's box again, and another satellite is coming for the X team, including Darius Stone. What are they going to do? Yeah, it's like one of those disaster movies where the uh, meteor is hurtling towards the Earth, and all the uh, conventional methods of stopping it have failed, and. Basically, the only solution left is get into something big, moving extremely yep. fast, and run into it. And that's exactly what Xander does. Donnie Yen actually fell out of the airplane a little bit earlier. Luckily, he was able to catch a, par- a stray parachute, so he's going to be okay. But Xander knows there's no more parachutes in the airplane, but he's got to stop that satellite. How is he going to do it? i got to tell you, there's nothing more extreme than self-sacrifice. <laughs> It's like drinking like a whole case of Mountain Dew at once. <laughs> but no, he, he crashes the airplane into the satellite, and just as he does, he jumps out of the airplane without a chute, starts free-falling towards a uh, military cargo drop that has a, has a parachute attached to it, catches up to it, grabs it. I don't know if you guys have ever played the video game Uncharted 3, but this scene is directly taken from that game yeah i think this this entire movie has a video game quality absolutely to it. yeah but he, he grabs a hold of it pulls it out lands safely 
has a very like Fast and the Furious style meeting at the end with all the other exes. It's very reminiscent of the ending of Furious 7, if you say I saw that, uh, with uh, uh, Ice Cube filling in for Paul Walker. And it just kind of falls into a really heartwarming ending. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> Everything comes to a head. Um, Xander Cage and uh, Darius Stone um, shake hands and embrace, and we see the dawn of a new triple x super team absolutely i mean these two characters from the past and the present uh all sort of joined together and now we have this bright future of a sort of triple x avengers squad uh to look forward it's to. like the avengers but nobody on the team is a square yeah exactly they're all they're all tony stark everyone's cool everyone has unique and interesting quirks and skills and uh, personalities no one is a dud none um there are several avengers kind of references to this um, yeah there's one point the there's a character that gibbons at the beginning at the first scene is trying to recruit to be a new triple x and he thinks he's being recruited to the avengers for some reason yeah he may definitely makes uh makes it known that uh he thinks he has superpowers and should be on a superhero team <laughs> And at the end, uh, we find out that Gibbons isn't dead, guys. Big surprise. But now his he has he has uh, sunglasses that have only one lens. It looks a lot like uh, what's uh, what's his name? What's his name? Nick Fury. Nick Fury's eye patch. That is an interesting uh, revelation because if if we're to understand that Triple X, the Return of Xander Cage exists in the same universe as the Avengers. Does that mean that when Gibbons disappears, he goes and assumes the identity of Nick Fury? I can only make that assumption. He's an insanely busy man. No wonder he faked his own death. Right? I think he faked his own death in uh, in one of the Avenger movies, too. Didn't he? In one of the Captain American movies. Yeah, I mean, I think he fakes his death in just about every movie he's in. Deep Blue Sea? He didn't get eaten by that shark. No, that wasn't real. Um. Well, my final thoughts on this movie would be I really enjoyed it. It's ridiculous. It's fun. Um, it's very reminiscent to me of like Jean-Claude Van Damme's wackiest and best work or Seagal's wackiest. Where I'm talking like uh, hard target or on deadly ground level craziness and fun. Yeah, it's insanely stylish and has tons of energy. And uh, if you want to watch something that's like a mashup of Suicide Squad and Fast and the Furious... Uh, this is definitely going to be right up your alley. And it's better than... Well, I wouldn't say... Uh, just cut everything I just said. Just cut it all out. Cut that part where I just said... That part, this part, whole, this whole conversation. Cut this part out. Got it. After what you cut said it. about Suicide Squad, I didn't say anything after that. Cut it. Cut it. Uh, in fact, as far as like capping off the series in terms of a trilogy, I can't imagine a better way to end it I mean, it was everything was tied together perfectly. This could be the end of Darius Stone and Xander Cage and be the dawn of a new Triple X team, or they could just stop it all here and it would be perfectly satisfying. Either way, it would be good. I'll take any. I'll take Triple X any form I can get. Triple X the TV series. Man, coming soon to Netflix, starring Jai Courtney as God, the son of Xander okay. Cage. I guess I. Oh my God. That's the only that's the only uh, scenario where I'd be w- willing to watch Jai Courtney in something. <laughs>
Well, on that note, um, that pretty much sums up my feelings of Triple X and how much I love it. So, how about you, Keith? Uh, stay tuned because probably next time on the Trash Heap, uh, we'll be tackling um, uh, a very important dystopian movie that uh, we think you guys should check out. Absolutely. Until next time, guys. The Trash Heap is closed. There we go.